And what I wanted us to spend a little bit of time talking about today is something that carries over in the big picture scale from Mother's Day, where we focused on family as church. What does it look like in the home when God has put parents there and sometimes children there, and he calls them to be primary disciple makers? What are ways in which they can grow a disciple-making culture? And the topic on Mother's Day was give a blessing, right? God's promises and God's hopes revealed in Scripture extended personally and horizontally to those in your lives as a means of both you seeking God to answer, because you can't answer those things and make those things happen, but then also you encouraging and intentionally building that connection with the person that you're blessing. Well, today, we want to then look at the other side of this partnership in disciple-making. We have the home, and then we have the church. And if you were to think more broadly and you were to think more eternally, actually, it is the church, the bride of Christ, that will last forever. Our earthly homes, to the extent in which we have biological limits and people pass, our earthly homes will not continue in its form forever. But as people come to know and trust the Lord and put their faith in Christ, they will become a part of a spiritual family. And that spiritual family finds itself in expressions in a local church. That family, this family as we are in Christ, that does last forever. And so what I wanted us then to be able to talk about today was to be able to consider what is an aspect of the dynamics and also the culture of a church family that actually would facilitate what we would love to see, which is disciple-making in the church. But a lot of times, maybe we don't have a lot of clarity as to what it looks like, even though it is a word that is a really common cultural buzzword nowadays. If you're trying to look up the word mentoring, you will find that it is highly desired. It is highly coveted. In fact, when you're looking for a job, if you're looking for you know, relationships where you can grow and be sharpened, that's up there as something that people are looking for. They want to not just be told what to do or to be given directions. They want to be mentored. And I want us to look at that today because the heart of mentoring is not a business world thing. It is not like a modern, hey, this generation of people desire relationship and mentoring to grow. But actually, mentoring can be anchored in what the Bible speaks of as discipleship and the type of relationships that the Bible describes as God's people having, you will see that manifest itself into mentoring. And so then that's the message and where we're going today is we're going to see what mentoring is, and then we're going to see how mentoring works itself out in personal ways so you could have personal mentoring relationships. But then we're going to end with how does mentoring look like when it's part of a disciple-making culture in a church. So it's not so much that you do mentoring, but that your church family mentors that your church family has making, has make, makes connections and facilitates opportunities. And within our programs and classes and ministries, mentoring just happens. And it's the reason why we do those things rather than our primary reason is to have our check marked in the attendance roster. The goal is not the thing, the box. The box that we create in the church facilitates the type of relationships that we would love to see in the church family, and that could be described as well as mentoring. So let's go ahead and open up the world of prayer, and then we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for today, and just for this opportunity that we have on a day in which we celebrate fathers, to be mindful, Lord, of the family that you've given to us as our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, that this family is not one in which we've earned our keeps, but it is one in which 
you've adopted us into because of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that this is not a family we have to be good enough for, but that if our faith is in Christ and what he has done and that our sins are forgiven, that even the worst of sinners have a rightful place at the table in your family and the opportunity and the privilege not only to know and to walk with brothers and sisters, but to actually belong and be known. Because in this life, the journey that we live to follow you, it is not easy, and you did not save us through this process of sanctification and eventual glorification to live it alone. So help us, God, to see and discern from your word what mentoring is and can be. And then we pray, Lord, that today you would put a desire in our hearts to mentor, to be mentored, to commit to these type of relationships in the church, to prioritize these, type of, these types of opportunities in our ever-growing busy schedules, to be intentional, to focus on relationship, and to make the most, God, of all the various opportunities that we have in this church to take the next step. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us and your love for us that manifests itself in people that we can know and invest in and people that are also able to know and sharpen us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first point of today is being able to look at what mentoring is. And I want to suggest right off the top, which we covered in the introduction, is mentoring really is maybe a more common, familiar way, a cultural tag of just saying discipleship. And when you hear discipleship, certain things should just come up in terms of your understanding and your experience. But we find that discipleship is anchored in terms of why a church will care about it and why it would matter to people like us in Christ's great commission to his disciples found in Matthew 28. This is certainly a familiar passage. This is actually what our church and our vision to be a vibrant church of disciple makers is based on as it is any other church that proclaims God's word in the gospel that we're called to make disciples. But let me go ahead and read this again for us, and hopefully I'm able to define some terms and be able to help us see through the lens of this topic of mentoring as to why this passage has something to say. So Jesus said, well, Matthew said this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The driving command here is to make disciples. A disciple is a follower, a student, and learner of Christ. The means by which you do this is to go and to baptize and to teach. And where you are going is where there's one single person at least that doesn't know Christ and has not trusted in him. And so you have a message and a life to share. And then you're calling them to be a part of the family of God. And that happens through baptism in a formal way. But then that also signals and represents a turning point in your faith as you declare who your Lord is through baptism and that you're buried in the likeness of his death and risen with him in newness of life. But then the bulk actually of this Great Commission is everything that the last part has to say, which is teaching them to obey Christ's commands. And whenever it is that you chose to follow Jesus, and however it is you had clarity about that, because maybe some of us came to faith in Christ at different ages and stages and maturity, this last part of teaching them to obey never ceases. 
Discipleship ends, obedience ends when Christ returns for his people. Beyond that, each of us in our earthly bodies and lives all have ways by which we can grow in our obedience and in our love for our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. That's the rest of our lives. So we look ahead even towards Christ's return with hope and anticipation, not just for a really great mid-credit scene at the end of a movie that we kind of learned about. We actually look towards it because everything leading up to it is meaningful and significant as the Holy Spirit works in and among us. So we see then the call to make disciples begins with evangelism as you share the gospel with people that have not trusted in him. You demonstrate it with your words and actions. And then as they repent and believe in Christ, then you help them to grow in their following of Jesus. And so how do we follow Jesus? Well, we do so by learning about who he is. And that's where his word comes from. That's the starting point. And that's certainly the anchor of the truths that remind us and call us to worship and obedience. But then we also learn to follow Jesus through the lives and examples of other people. And I'm not just saying this because it seems like a good thing to say when Jesus was alive 2,000 years ago and we have a book, oh, well, there's other people. No, it's because this is a part of the Great Commission, as you see revealed from Christ in the beginning, that there should be in his example, a continuation, if we are going in his authority and we are going with the promises of his presence, that there's going to be an ongoing chain of relationships by which followers of Jesus, they evangelize, call people to repentance and faith, but then they are also continuing to walk in the lives of other Christians and helping them to grow. And all we have to do is look in the gospels to see that the three and a half years that the disciples spent with Jesus was simply that. They weren't primarily there because they were ready to go and were Jesus' A-team and knew how to do everything perfectly. No, it was a wrestling constantly of how do you grow in faith? How do you grow in Christ? How do you grow in ministry skill? How do you grow in compassion and love? And Jesus took these people with them everywhere for three and a half years. That was the example that he set. And even as he left, he knew that they were not going to be orphaned. And so he speaks this to them. And then as the church is birthed and the Holy Spirit comes, and we are on the receiving end even of that as the gospel went out to the Gentiles coming to us, that it is through the power of the message, yes, but it is through the vehicle of relationships, always. That it's more than just reading something and you're done. But there's a sense in which even as you read towards understanding and the Holy Spirit works to convict that it calls you in obedience to be with a group of people, and people are bound by relationships. So let me give you guys a simple definition that any of you guys easily could have come up with, trying to keep it something that we would remember here. Mentoring is this. Mentoring is intentional relationships to help people grow in Christ. And we see Paul pointing to this, especially in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So it's not just he's telling you what to do, but he's pointing to the Corinthians saying, hey, you remember what it was like when I was there, and you are getting these correspondences from me. You know a lot more than just the letters on this page, and you know what I'm going through, the trials and the journeys. And so 
follow me as I'm following Christ and the relationship that binds us shows and reveals mentoring, okay? Intentional relationships to help people grow in Christ. Now, I want to add to that definition by supplying some additional truths. And, I mean, to be fair, these are truths, not necessarily in that they're, you know, black and white, inarguable, but these are truths that I I find to be foundational in um, pursuing mentoring. So truth number one, mentoring is anchored in relationship, not program. You can have programs, but that doesn't guarantee mentoring. You could have people set up to be mentor and mentee. You could have someone in a mentor role to a cohort or a class. You could have a class on mentoring, and that doesn't guarantee mentoring. Mentoring is anchored in relationship in terms of the purpose and the quality and the frequency of that relationship. That's mentoring, okay? Truth number two, we are all needy people. What that means is then we need to actually help each other. And the reason why this is an important truth is because if we see mentoring as primarily a thing in which there's a really wise mentor person that is got it all and is above, you know, beyond reproach, and then you have like, you know, this, you know, young, immature mentee, and that's the only way mentoring works, then I think we'll miss out on a lot of opportunities where mentoring is supposed to happen. In fact, I would say that if you're in a mentoring situation, I know many of you as I look out into this congregation here, whether it's in a workplace or, you know, the fact that you teach or serve in various aspects of church, that we would be dishonest if we were to say, in our mentoring role, we don't learn something too. That the people that we are, that are under our charge or the people we're called to serve and to mentor, that they're not teaching us too. That there's ways in which we see the, the flaws in our hearts or our own selfishness or something that we didn't fully understand before but it is made to come clear and alive through people that we are mentoring. It is always mutual, even if you might have someone in a more clearly stated mentoring position. Ed Welch, he wrote a, you know, biblical counseling guy that wrote a bunch of books. In the book, Side by Side, he says it in this way. The basic idea is that those who help best are the ones who both need help and give help. A healthy community is dependent on all of us being both. So, Entering a mentoring relationship in whatever role that you have doesn't mean that you're always higher, greater, and better than the person that you are mentoring. In fact, the proper posture we should have, knowing the, the, the sinfulness and the flawedness of our hearts and many of our dispositions as we are a work in progress, is, you know what? Maybe I'm entering this mentoring role for a particular purpose or in a particular arrangement, but you know what? God's going to use this because I need to grow too. So mentoring becomes mutual because we're all needy people, that God's not done with any of us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're all work in progress, and when you engage in a mentoring situation, then you're giving yourself and the Lord the opportunity to be sharpened, even as you strive to sharpen and disciple someone else. Number three, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one that is actively transforming people. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we always talk about how Christians need to grow, and Christians are called in following Jesus to grow, but you know who's doing the work, who's bearing the fruit, who is actually changing the heart and softening our selfishness and sinful dispositions? The Holy Spirit. He's the one that as we turn our face to Christ with an unveiled face that his death and resurrection has provided and given to us so that we could see his glory clearly, he's changing us. I believe there's quite a few children's songs about how God is changing us. And so he is. And so we need the Holy Spirit to do even the simple things of obedience, but we also depend on the Holy Spirit completely, simply to be not who we were. But this is not a hope that is anchored in nothingness. This is a hope that points us back to the work of the Holy Spirit even now. The reason why when Jesus promised that he would never leave his disciples, that he will go with them with the authority that he has for them, is that the Holy Spirit soon came afterwards, and he never left his people abandoned to walk the life of discipleship alone. But even as the Holy Spirit works, he works through people. And even as he works through people, he uses those relationships to sharpen and to build each other up. Welch also said this in his book, God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, an extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in his kingdom. You know, I chose this quote for us to to look at because that means that each of us can relate to this in some way. That maybe we think that the things that we talk about or care about are, you know, less theological. Maybe they seem less holy, or maybe we're not able to muster up a, a particular level of conversation about certain theological topics. But Mentoring and the one another is not about that. It's actually about how God works through our commitments to one another and our intention to build mentoring relationships among one another that then brings about the change and transformation and the Christ-likeness in the lives of his people. We are his instruments. And that's a beautiful recognition of both who we are in the hands of, who's in charge, but then also our purpose as disciple-makers, that we need to be present to be used as the instruments of God. So let's look at the second point here. Let's look at a personal practice of mentoring. And what I wanted us to be able to take a look at is, in particular, the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with one of his closest mentees, his disciples, his students, Timothy. So we're going to look at there. First of all, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul reveals his leadership and mentoring philosophy. He says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what is his leadership philosophy? What is his apostolic call as he strives to make disciples? wherever it is that God has sent him, especially to the Gentiles, simple, is to make disciple-makers. You see the multiple generations in there. You see the call to not only be present with people, but the call to equip them with something 
And then you also see this promise that looks ahead to something that would pass his own time. If you're talking about passing this down, the gospel, and what it calls to follow Christ to the next generation who then pass it on to the next generation who then could teach. Paul will not be around by the end of this. But that is the fruit of mentoring. That none of us are working if you're believing and committed to mentoring to only have it last as long as you last. I think the fruit of mentoring is one in which you have no idea what the future holds in terms of people, but even as you look forward, you look forward then with hope in what God will do and how he will use you to shape and equip and empower somebody. So here was Paul's strategy. He, just putting it all in the same letters here, what he did is he elected or chose someone. He then equipped them and invested in his walk. And then finally, what he did is that he empowered them and prepared him for the future. Okay, so this is how he demonstrated mentoring. And we see this very clearly in the life of Timothy. Now, the story with Timothy, you could find in Acts chapter 16 of how they came to meet one another. So starting from verse 1, Luke writes this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the Lord connected Paul and Timothy as he was on his second missionary journey. They met in Lystra, and Paul wanted to take him along. This was not accidental. Paul wanted Timothy to be a part of his mission and his calling to make disciples to the Gentiles in particular. And you actually find in the life of Timothy that he ended up serving with or near the Apostle Paul and are definitely connected in communication for the rest of Paul's life. That you find that Timothy, even as he grew and even as he changed, even as his ministry in Ephesus blossomed and flourished and went through the ups and downs of that, that he actually continued to be in touch with Paul. So Paul chose him to be the person that would follow him and that he would mentor and invest in. Now, the next thing in Paul's strategy is that he equips his mentee. And this looks like a life-on-life relationship. This is more than just content. This is more than just classes and lectures. This is more than just them doing stuff together. It is actually all of those things, but then you'll see through the Bible passages, especially as revealed in First and Second Timothy, as Paul is directly writing to him with the words and the phrases and the encouragements and the teaching on how to continue in his ministry, that there's so much depth in equipping in terms of how Paul sees it. Paul wants to invest in him personally. Paul wants to mentor him through his life circumstances. Paul wants to walk with him through his trials. And even though they were not adjacent to one another, near one another, that Paul had Timothy in mind. And Paul was constantly wanting to do what was helpful and would build up his mentee. 
So he had three particular tools in his toolkit. And what I want to do is I want to list each one and then just really quickly run through the passages in First and Second Timothy where you see that happen. Okay, so this will be kind of a, a blur really quickly through Scripture, but I'm hoping that it will connect with you in the various passages that you're familiar with, but then it would help to paint the picture that it's Scripture saying this and not just me calling out some bullet points here. So number one in his toolkit is encouragement. He is always telling Timothy to keep on keeping on, right? It's not always easy where Timothy was situated in Ephesus. And so he kept telling him to keep going. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he reminds Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. You are called. Don't forget it. I believe in you. 2 Timothy 1, 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Points him to the source of his call and mission. And it's not what he has done, but because of Christ has done and his faith in him. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You could hear the father speaking to his spiritual son. My child, be strengthened. The second tool in his toolkit is example. Learn from Paul's life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, he describes this season of his life. Paul said, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflow for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I was the worst. The gospel rescued me, and Christ has never left me. Learn from my life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. He was there. He was reminding Timothy of that. 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There is no trial or persecution that will ever take away God's presence and protection of you. God will be with you always. His final toolkit item is exhortation. He does give instructions and charges to fulfill his pastoral calling. It's not just the relationship and encouragements. That's important. It's not just look at my example, but it's to remind him of what he was set apart for and why Paul chose him. In 1 Timothy 1.18, he reminds Timothy to wage the good warfare. It's worth it to continue to be in the fight. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, he reminds him and instructs him to pray for kings and leaders in authority who are oftentimes the people that are persecuting the Christians so that they may continue to make disciples in peace, Lord willing. 
He tells him in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, the qualifications for pastors and deacons because Timothy is a pastor and Timothy will be serving with deacons and as they plant churches and make disciples, pastors and deacons will be called and affirmed and equipped and trained. So don't forget who they are and what God had called and prepared them to be. And then 2 Timothy 4, 2, we're reminded by Paul to preach the word in every season which means in good seasons and bad seasons, in inconvenient seasons, in popular seasons, preach the word, he says to Timothy. Why? Because that is his calling to shepherd the flock of God. Let's look at the final part of his mentoring strategy. He takes Timothy and he empowers him to prepare to pass the baton and to give him the opportunities to lead with the authority that he has. Now, this is a very specific situation for sure, and not all mentoring relationships are in this time of trajectory where the Apostle Paul is preparing Pastor Timothy to carry on. Many of our mentoring relationships are much different, but in terms of seeing what Paul did, it was insightful. So he passes on the baton by reminding Timothy of their relationship. He's reminded of Timothy as his beloved and faithful child. 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says this, This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He loves him as a spiritual father and that he has been faithful and beloved. Secondly, Timothy has also grown to be someone that was a fellow co-worker, an ambassador of the gospel. And you find here in 1 Corinthians 16.10, where Paul says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So any honor or any authority that you give to me, Corinth, treat Timothy the same. He's not just my disciple and my mentee, treat him the same. And then finally, Timothy is seen as a trustworthy friend to Paul. At the end of 2 Timothy, this would be, as we have record of it, you know, his final communication that we have, he reminds him, as he is aging, do your best to come to me soon. So it's not just what he can do for me, I just want your company. I just would delight in being able to be in your presence and talk to you and to share with you and to hear from you and to pray with you and just to do a lot of very ordinary things in God's name. So this empowering is anchored in relationship, but with every aspect of empowerment, as you see the transitions in Paul and Timothy's relationship, Timothy is able to look at all those milestones and say, yeah, God is doing his work. I can do what he has called me to do. And I am growing, and I have grown, and I'm grateful for how this is not finished. Let's end, then, with the practice of mentoring as we look at it from a corporate perspective. So we're not talking about personal mentoring relationships exclusively, but we're talking about what it looks like if we have a culture of disciple-making that reflects itself in mentoring what is it and how do we get there? Well, 
There are a few tips that were given by certain authors, um, Mark Dever in particular, in speaking of a disciple-making culture. And this was a lot of some of what we got to talk about a little bit and hear about this week at SPC. It's always good to be reminded of some of these things as we go. But if the church is the place where the people of God are given the Great Commission and we're called to then preach the gospel, bring them into the church, and live out a disciple-making church family mentoring existence, then we have to first prioritize local church. See, it's not just our campus fellowships or the parachurch ministries. Those are good as well. Or definitely, as we're coming out of the pandemic, you know, when we're talking about local church, we're talking about the actual people and not just a podcast or a YouTube video that you could watch from a Sunday service. Now, I understand that for some, that might be the best in their season of life that they can do in terms of what they can handle or maybe physically where they're at. But in terms of valuing and prioritizing local church, I'm talking about being here, a part of the church family where you could be counted, but then also where you could be known and loved. Real life relationships that God wants for us. See, mentoring is about building intentional relationships, and I think the first place to start is simply just by being here and being present so that as the Lord works, we're able to make those connections. Now, mind you, for some of us, it might be reaching out in pursuing these relationships, maybe where people that are struggling with their faith or, you know, they're homebound and they're not able to come or they're struggling with issues. That's all okay. But I think for those of us, if we want to take the next step in mentoring and we're ready for that, then it begins with prioritizing the local church. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is not putting down people that aren't in the local church. This is elevating those who are in the local church, that especially those that we worship and we walk with and that we share meals and we pray for. Go all out for these people because they are God's people and we're part of the same spiritual family. Secondly, we need to build on our commitment to one another. Mark Dever said this, the heart of mentoring is to nurture a culture of intentional relationships, and to do that, membership must become meaningful. And I say that in saying that membership, at least in our church, it's just, it's the formal means of saying that this is my church. It is not necessarily a measure of your walk with God, your maturity, or, you know, your relationship with us. But at least in our church, where we practice membership and, and we aim, you know, to really build up and and equip the members, and, and to really you know, help them take the next step to follow Jesus as primary disciple-makers in the home and in the church, being a member is your first step to formally join us and be a part of what God is doing here. And so later on, as we have the opportunity to have membership classes in the summer, I encourage you guys, you know, maybe if this is a church you've been attending, and this is a church that you want to grow in and engage in these type of relationships, then build on that commitment to one another, and that for some may begin with membership. But for the rest of us, many of us who are members can grow in this area as well. That a lot of times, church is something that really, we Google calendar it, and then when we're done, it's, it's done. And there's not like this priority of like, wait, what about the people? How are they doing? And now it's not up to you to care for everyone and have a mentoring relationship with everyone. That's impossible. But it is certainly the case where if you're members of a local church, that there should be people that you're thinking, you know what, 
Those people should be important to me. I should check in and see how they're doing. I should know how I could be praying for them. I should, you know, they haven't been to church in a few weeks. I should check in on them, see how they are. See, that, that's where you see the, the culture and the heart of mentoring starting to build because it's about intentional relationships rather than programs and classes and services. Now, for some of us then, and, you know, being you know, a parent of three myself, schedule is something that we have to be obedient towards in terms of surrendering to God. A lot of times, our first answer in not engaging in these type of relationships with people is simply that we don't have enough time and we don't have a place for you. We can't fit you in, but we try to be as nice as we can when we see each other. And I don't question the sincerity of any of that, but I got to ask, at what point does culture get built if each of us are primarily guarding our fences first and maybe not recognizing the beauty of the church family that he has placed us in? That is called to give us not only these opportunities for mentoring, but then also to sharpen us through these processes and these ministries and these relationships anchored in intentional relationship that then would actually lead us to the thriving and the vibrancy that deep down inside we really want. You know, there is something true about how God made us so that we would have a desire to be happy. I believe that these relationships that God has put before us will actually make us happy in the way that we were designed to be happy and not shortchanged. So we have to make room then for mentoring relationships in our lives. Now, when you look at that three-tiered cake with a heart on top, um, that was a nice little picture there. Um, but this is where I wanted to maybe point you guys to consider how all these things line up. Especially, you'll be hearing more about this, especially as, you know, we unveil and unleash more as it relates to biblical counseling in its specifics and its formalities and its intents. But then also we have membership as the bottom layer. If biblical counseling is on the top, membership's on the bottom layer, right? That's the people committed to the church. And then the middle is where we have room to grow a mentoring culture. And that's where the biblical counseling people are going to feed into what does it look like, you know, to love one another and to encourage and to speak to one another in these ways and to address certain issues as they come up. There'll be training and equipping going into that middle layer. But see, think about it. How much buy-in are you going to get to this culture if you're not even committed to this church? If you could just walk away, the next moment something happens here that you're not happy about, I mean, don't get me wrong, if it's sin, that's sin, but I'm talking about just something that maybe is inconvenient or that we don't like that much. If the commitment isn't in the local church, that culture is not going to go very far with you. Because when it's calling you to do something hard, you will leave. If it's something that challenges you, you will move on. It begins with commitment to the local church. I hope that three-tier cake is able to help us picture that a little bit more as we go. So then here's the big idea. Disciple makers prioritize and pursue mentoring relationships personally and corporately to help one another grow in Christ. Disciple makers prioritize and pursue mentoring relationships personally and corporately to help one another grow in Christ. Really quick applications. Personally, you might be thinking, how do I find a mentor? Great question. I know I haven't been at this church for that long, but I have seen the seasons of mentoring in our church. I'm grateful for them. But I feel like this is always one of those questions that some of us have. How do we find a mentor? Right? It's, it's kind of a weird you know, a thing or maybe a weird vibe sometimes. You're not quite sure how to approach. Um, Pastor Garrett Kell, he, he wrote a brief uh, pamphlet on, 
on this topic. How can I find someone to disciple me? He said these four things. He said, one, pray. If you're serious about having a mentor in your life, pray for one. Okay, some of us are saying, oh, there's no mentors, I'm out. Pray for one. Be sincere about that. Two, join a church. Why? Because if you join a church and there's people that are committed to the church and you're part of the church, they may be the ones that will commit to you. Okay? Three, watch people's faith. See how they live. See how they're following Christ. And that might help discern. And then finally, as you've prayed and as you've considered, as you've been a part of walking in the life of a local church, then maybe you'll have the clarity and the discernment to ask someone. Ask someone to mentor you. Corporately, this is the attitude that, you know, we're going to be teaching our YSMP team this year as they plan to go to Kienta. You're called to be fat, okay? Faithful, available, teachable. That if you grow in those three ways, if you're fat, then there's just more of this opportunity by which God will open your heart and your eyes to see ways in which you can engage with people through programs, but sometimes above and beyond programs, through schedules, but sometimes even beyond schedules, to intentionally engage in disciple-making relationships with someone else, whether as a mentor, whether as a mentee, whether as equals that are committed to sharpen each other. And the final word is this. I know that today we're talking about church's family, but it is Father's Day. I want to say this very specifically. For you fathers who have children who are youth, college, young adults, and growing I'm telling you right now, regardless of all the mistakes you made when you were young, you could be a mentor in their lives now, and they're looking for that. If you're a father, spiritual father to people, and they're college students, young adults, they're married, you know, you're a grandpa, they're looking for this. Your sons are looking for this. They're looking for a mentor. So start being this person in the power of the Holy Spirit and be in their lives as the Lord opens doors and as he opens hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, for today and for this opportunity for us to see how people of the word, how people who love you have chosen to love each other. We thank you, Lord, for this culture that we live in that does value mentoring, but we also pray, Father, you give us wisdom and discernment as we seek out mentoring or we seek to be used in this way Lord, that it would always find itself rooted and anchored in your gospel and committed and present in the family of God. So I thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would draw us nearer to you. Help us to never forget who you are as our heavenly Father. And then as we do so, may we truly be people who will go to the ends of the earth, starting with our own homes and our church, to point people to how they can grow in Christ and to engage in intentional relationship with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.